For 50 years, child killing has been legal in our nation in all 50 states. Then with the U.S. Supreme Court decision in Dobbs, Roe was overturned, leaving abortion to each state to decide. This is Bob Boyd. And Jerry Boyd. This is Issues in Education. Our foundation as a nation was the Declaration of Independence and the belief that we are endowed by our Creator with unalienable rights, and among which is the right to life. Without the right to life, no other rights matter. Our guest is a dynamic national pro-life speaker. Seth Gruber is founder and president of the White Rose Resistance and host of a podcast entitled Unaborted. Half a billion dollars is given to Planned Parenthood each year with our tax money. Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion provider in the nation, and taxpayers are funding abortion through Planned Parenthood. Margaret Sanger is the founder of Planned Parenthood. Margaret Sanger's ideas greatly influenced Hitler's ideas about destroying those deemed unfit to live. Here's Seth Gruber. Sanger actually coined the term birth control. The woman who coins the term birth control wanted to use it to prevent people she didn't like from reproducing. Unfit, it's probably the central most important word in eugenics because some people are unfit to live and some people are fit to live. So Sanger is like hanging out with the founders and presidents of the American Eugenics Society. <laughs> so this is what this movement was wrapped up in. And Sanger wrote about how she longed, she longed for when the morons and imbeciles would be segregated and sterilized. Segregated and sterilized. Her great inspiration was this, to create a race of thoroughbreds by encouraging more children from the fit and less from the unfit. Some people aren't fit to live and we shall be as gods. So we get to decide who has value and who should have a right to life and who shouldn't. The central phrase is the linchpin of the entire secular progressive project are the words, this is my body, my choice. This is why we kill babies through embryonic stem cell research. They're doing this in America right now. They're trying to edit the genes of little babies conceived in test tubes, edit out of our gene code certain susceptibilities to diseases so we can live just a little bit longer. Abortion is the pagan replacement for man's pursuit of eternal life. Rather than accepting the broken body and shed blood of Christ for eternal life, they demand that we break the bodies and shed the blood of babies for eternal life. That's well said. Rather than accepting the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ for eternal life, the secularists break the bodies of babies to try to live longer. It's for research to eliminate bad disease-causing genes. That's right. They break their bodies and shed their little blood. When our culture displaced the Christian belief that all lives are precious because they're made in God's image. They came up with all these kooky, crazy beliefs. Man is fundamentally a religious being. You displace Christianity and weird, kooky other pagan religions will enter its place. And Margaret Sanger understood this. That's why she wanted to use the sexual revolution to usher in the social revolution and displace Christianity as the dominant worldview in America. We convinced ourselves that Christianity had nothing to do with politics. That the culture war, it was a proxy war for the deeper spiritual war. We wanted to make Christianity to be really attractive and not offend the political sensibilities of Christians who need to be called to repentance for supporting the party that's fulfilling Margaret Sanger's vision of slaughtering 65 million image bearers in the womb. Thanks to the silence of Christians and the commitment of secular progressivism that were more dogmatic about their religion than the Christians were about theirs. We need Christian resistance 
in this late hour of the American culture war. We are in a late hour of this American culture war. You do not label your political opponents domestic terrorists unless you seek to see them treated as such. And if you dare be like Gideon and stand against the sacrament of Satan and the secular progressive religion, you will also be defined as those deemed unfit to live. So you need to understand abortion is not detached from the secular progressive moral revolution. It actually plays the central role in the entire Marxist revolutionary takeover. It's actually the linchpin upon which secular progressivism swings. The culture war, it was a proxy war for the deeper spiritual war. Stop blaming evil people for doing evil things. That's what they always do. Your responsibility is to stand in the middle of the road and prevent their agenda. Reagan said, evil is powerless if the good are unafraid. We've been listening to cuts from a previous Issues in Education program with Seth Gruber. Seth Gruber joins Charlie Kirk in a session with students asking questions about abortion. Charlie Kirk is a radio talk show host and founding director of Turning Point USA. The first question a girl asks is how can we really know what's right and wrong if it's not specifically mentioned in Scripture? Uh, How would you address someone who claims to be Christian yet says that we won't truly know what God believes is right and wrong until Jesus comes back to earth? Yeah, so this is an interesting argument, what you're getting at, and we hear this a lot. Have you ever heard a pastor or Christian say something like, I speak where the Bible speaks, and I'm silent where the Bible's silent? Kind of to what she's saying, how can we truly know what God thinks is right or wrong until he comes back? So I'm just going to address what's in the scriptures. (laughs) It's actually one of the dumbest statements ever said by Christians. Here's why. There's plenty of things that our Savior does not condemn. That doesn't mean the scriptures condone those behaviors. What are some examples? Did you know the Bible doesn't forbid the lynching of homosexuals? But guess what? I can still know that's wrong because I'm grounded in a Christian worldview that says man and woman has dignity and value and rights because they're created in the image of their God who entered human history in a uterus. So lots of Christians who say that do not read the Bible, do not take it seriously. Well said, yeah. And if that that person calls themselves a Christian, they should read their Bible more. They don't know what God says is right or wrong. Seth and Charlie, I'm actually on staff at a church in Austin, and I have the honor and privilege of giving the message to our congregation the Sunday before the election. I actually requested it. If either one of you were me and you had the ear of a congregation on that Sunday, what would you say? Wow. (laughs) What would I say? Yeah, I would would do an exegetical analysis of Zechariah. No, it's... (laughs) Look you got to lean in, and I think you should be right up front, and you should say, listen, the Bible commands us to care about our nation. Cite it biblically. Jeremiah 29.7. Talk about Esther, Mordecai, Nehemiah, Jeremiah, all try to influence secular government for God's purpose. And then talk about three things that everyone should be able to agree with, and say, this is not political, it's biblical. God created man and woman, life begins at conception, and that churches are more important than strip clubs, and we're never going to allow the church to be locked down again. And then you should just pause and say, I want every single person to have a fulfilled ballot. I am going to ask you to pray and to fast before you make that decision of which person has the set of policies that would be most in alignment with the natural law and biblical truth. And then I would give a call to action, which is I don't want a single person not to fill out a ballot on Tuesday. But those three things are uncompromising. It is no question of biological reality, when life begins, and the church's importance, and how the government crushed the church over the last couple years. And I just want to commend you and encourage you. And honestly, if every pastor in America gave a sermon as simple as that, the Sunday before the election, righteousness would prevail. God bless you, man. That's beautiful. Seriously.
Can you explain more of how the abortion procedure works? There are four primary different forms of abortion. The most popular today, and it's accounting for 50% or more now, actually, of the abortions, is RU486. That's the abortion pill. A history window into RU486. This is the abortion pill. What does RU stand for? Russell Ukloff. What's Russell Ukloff? Russell Ukloff's majority shareholder is Hooks AG. What's Hooks AG? Hooks AG emerged from the breakup of the German chemical company known as IG Farben, a company infamous for creating a gas called Zyklon B used to poison Jews in Nazi concentration camps. So Hooks AG simply moved from creating poison to kill Jews to creating poison to kill babies. So when you hear people talk about the Nazi eugenic demonic legacy of the abortion industrial complex, that's not embellishment, hyperbole, that's the reality. The first regimen of the abortion pill cuts off the hormone progesterone, the lining of the uterus breaks down and the baby starved to death. The second forces your uterus to have contractions and Planned Parenthood will literally tell you, and we have multiple women who have confirmed this, sit on the toilet, don't look and flush. So the American sewage system becomes the abortion industry's disposal system. Then you have suction abortions, aspiration abortions, which just sucks limbs off. Then you have dismemberment abortions, and that's forceps, that's clamping, that's tearing. And when the white paste starts flowing, you know you got the baby's brains. And then you have induction abortions, and this is when a needle is inserted into the baby's skull or heart injected with potassium chloride, which, by the way, is very similar they use on death row to kill inmates. Isn't that interesting? The baby goes into cardiac arrest, and then you deliver a dead child. That's the PG version. If anyone is pro-abortion, I just challenge you to go learn as much as you can about it, and if you remain pro-abortion after you really realize the medieval brutality of the procedure, then that's on you. But I guarantee you, if 99% of pro-abortion people understood the horrific nature of that procedure, I think it would open a lot of eyes. I asked Seth to water that down because there's an R-rated version, which yeah. is the accurate version, yeah. by the way. That's, it's sick. It really yeah. is. Thank you for your question. Appreciate it. Seth, I loved how you debunked every single pro-abortion argument. The left has been using the same arguments for abortion for literally decades. But one argument that I'm finding uh, really hard to debunk is the argument of you don't care about the baby after it's born. You don't right. care what happens to it. You don't care if it's fed or if it's clothed or if it grows up in a good home, yada, right. yada, yada. Pretty good. So the argument goes like this. You can't truly be pro-life and you haven't proven your pro-life convictions unless you're caring for all of the children not aborted. So I have to somehow prove my moral position through more than standing against the killing of the babies in the womb, but through the adopting, the raising, or the financing of children already born. If that's true, then I say, then you, pro-abortion advocate, you cannot show the true courage of your pro-abortion convictions unless you start ripping arms and legs off. Very interesting response. They go, uh, because let me tell you something. Most people, after they start ripping arms and legs off, they're done. They're done with that industry. And by the way, this is why many, especially more conservative states, guess what? They have a really hard time finding enough surgical abortionists because a lot of people don't want to do that work, right? So, and then the other part of the answer would be this. All that is required to be truly pro-life is to live and act as if abortion is wrong. The pro-life movement already has a massive task on their shoulders to end the greatest genocide in human history, and the pro-life movement and pro-life organizations are largely underfunded and understaffed. And then we're told, with that huge job description, that you're not even pro-life unless you're adopting all the babies. Your pro-life ethic is debunked.
unless I can see how many children you adopted and children you're fostering, right? Imagine saying that you can't oppose me beating my wife, which I don't do, unless you're willing to marry her. Let's assume I'm a child-abusing degenerate father. And then I say, you, church, can't oppose me beating my toddler unless you're willing to adopt him. And you would say, I'm not going to adopt your kid, but like, stop beating him. And your anti-toddler torturing position would still be valid, even if you weren't adopting the toddlers being beaten. Does that make sense? So why should it be any different on the abortion issue? We have other organizations better situated, oh, and by the way, better funded, for foster care, for adoption, for these various things, than telling the pro-life movement, who has an overwhelming job description, that they have to do more than try to end abortion for their pro-life ethic to be valid. But the Christian worldview is broad and comprehensive. It demands that we love and care for all neighbors. But that doesn't mean that the objectives of the pro-life movement must be diverted to other social causes for our pro-life ethic to be valid. And I reject the premise. Every single policy that I believe in is a pro-life policy. I want a southern border so children aren't sex trafficked into my country. That's a pro-life position. I want more cops on the street so people aren't slain on the side of the street going to school. It's a pro-life policy. I want school choice so that children can read and not be taught critical race theory or pornographic material. It's a pro-life policy. I want medical mutilation to be outlawed because I don't think a 13-year-old should have to go into a surgical room because some pharmaceutical company will benefit from it. It's a pro-life policy. I want a booming economy because it lifts people out of poverty and gives them dignity and a chance to flourish and not be on government handouts. Every position I have is a pro-life position. I'm not just pro-life. I'm not pro-birth. I'm pro-life in every capacity. And And don't let people who slaughter unborn children at the tune of a million a year pontificate about morality. And don't let people who slaughter unborn children through all nine months of pregnancy, and you have the gall to judge me from a moral framework. They lecture me because they say, you're not pro-life, because I think that God has a better future in store for you. I believe everyone here has a heart for all people made in the image of God, and we believe a free society is the best way for those people to flourish. Thank you. Uh, First of all, thank you guys both for being here. When it comes to the mother's health, I was tricked by that as well, and I kind of held that point of view uh, if it was the mother's health. But can you elaborate on the mother's health? Yeah, there's been a lot of studies on abortion's link to negative consequences for the mother breast cancer and mental health. But what you'll hear the pro-abortion side say is that there are no negative consequences for mom's health following an abortion. We did a podcast, if you scroll down on my podcast, Unaborted, called Proof That Abortion Is Linked to Breast Cancer, Preterm Labor, and Mental Health. It comes down to this. The abortion industry hones in on the two or three studies of about 70 or 80 that showed that there was no negative consequence, and then they ran that as the CNN headlines. It gets repeated in academia and medicinal circles, and then the CDC and ACOG American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, they run with it and they say, debunked, follow the science. Okay. But with Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton, the two Supreme Court decisions in 1973 that legalized abortion through point of birth, they said that states could ban abortion in the third trimester unless a failure to get a third trimester abortion endangered the mother's life or health. And then they defined health so broadly you could drive a Mack truck through it. So then in a 1981 congressional subcommittee hearing, they were forced to define what they meant by the word health. And they said health can refer to 
familial, emotional, basically anything that you wanted to define it as to justify that third trimester abortion. What does emotional health mean? What does familial health mean? Does that mean you got in a fight with your husband and, and it kind of made you a little stressed out? No blows were thrown. It was just some yelling. And so now I need an abortion. Yeah. That, and guess who gets to define whether the mother's definition of health is the appropriate legal definition to meet the standard for a third trimester abortion? The abortionist. Oh, I'm sure he has no financial incentive to adopt her definition of health because guess which abortions pay the best? Late-term abortions. <laughs> so that's a little bit about how they've used health to basically ramrod through abortion through point of birth. But yeah, if you look at the studies, the breadth of the studies shows an overwhelming link of negative health consequences for the mother following the abortion. Yeah, 99% of all abortions are done electively, and are done for convenience. Socioeconomic. Yeah, socioeconomic reasons, according to the Pro-Abortion Guttmacher Institute. We're talking about such a fraction of a fraction that are rape, incest, and even less so of even if you're able to get to that definition of life of the mother. And so I always flip it. Whenever this comes up, I always flip it. And I say, let's not get too drawn into theoretics or abstractions. Do you think that the 99% socioeconomic is wrong? And they'll never admit that. It's yeah. never about that. Just tell them, if I give you rape and incest and life of the mother for a second, will you join me to fight to end the 98% yes. of all other abortions? And they always say no. Yeah. To which I say, then why are you hiding behind rape yeah, victims that, to right. make yourself look more compassionate? Yeah, because they can't debate on anything else. Thank you for being here. So I'm just curious to know what you would say to someone who says that they have no other option but to abort their baby because they can't financially support it and they don't want to contribute to overcrowded orphanages. Oh, wow. Or foster care, yeah. So pregnancy resource centers outnumber abortion centers in this country more than two to one. Most people don't know what a pregnancy resource center is, and we have some politicians who say that they torture pregnant women and that they hate women and that they're the peddlers of misinformation. So some politicians wrote a letter to Google recently, Charlie, saying, you need to make sure that those nasty pregnancy centers that torture pregnant women, that their results don't show up on Google. And Google is going along with that right now. Last year, Google made sure that pro-lifers couldn't promote ad spend for the abortion pill reversal. Remember I talked to you about RU486? Well, the abortion pill reversal is just progesterone, so it gives her more of what the abortion pill was breaking down to help save the pregnancy. And they're saying the, that the abortion pill reversal is dangerous to women. And now they're saying pregnancy resource centers are the peddlers of misinformation. Misinformation? You mean when I go to Planned Parenthood's website and I try to find out what a suction abortion is, and it says that it gently suctions out the pregnancy? The pregnancy tissue, pregnancy tissue. Guys, there's no such thing as pregnancy tissue. Pregnancy is not a thing, it's a condition. Conditions don't have pregnancy. Conditions don't have tissue. So if you're pregnant, what are you pregnant with? Well, if you're a human being, you're pregnant with another human being, so that's human tissue. And these are the people lecturing us on the peddling of misinformation. Those pregnancy resource centers that are heroes, they outnumber abortion centers more than two to one, and they provide almost all of the same services that Planned Parenthood does, minus the baby butchery part, and they do it all for free. There are plenty of ministries to provide care for women who need help. But the church ought to be the ones on the front lines, making sure Amen. that we're not prostituting our spiritual obligation to pregnancy centers and letting them do it while we make ourselves feel really good, but actually getting involved, being the hands and feet of Jesus to Amen. women who are hurting and need help. Yeah. Now that Roe versus Wade is repealed, the church has to step up and have a no-excuse policy of anybody who's pregnant will achieve help and love, acceptance with all of that, regardless of circumstances. That's an awful argument that person made.
which is who the heck cares about your feelings? There's another being involved here. It's completely irrelevant about your own perspective. You think the termination of a being is going to be best for them? Death is not the best for an individual. That's not your call to make which is this kind of narcissistic ideology, yeah, narcissistic philosophy that has invaded mostly our schools, which it's all about you. By the way, this is why we have the most depressed, suicidal, medicated, alcohol-addicted, drug-addicted, and psychiatric drug-taking generation in history. It actually creates very miserable people because they're so focused on themselves mm. and they're not focused on serving other people. Yep, yep. And, and more important, serving God. Like, just think about yourself a little less for the next 30 minutes. It's not always about you. Saying about, oh, they're going to have a hard life in foster care and orphanage. So what, lynch them now? I mean, what in the world? So you need to understand that is the eugenic philosophical tradition of Margaret Sanger. That's the philosophy that influenced Hitler. Adolf Hitler's director of genetic sterilization, Alfred Rosenberg, appropriated the German term Untermensch from the English version, meaning subhuman, the Jews, eugenics, we don't want them to live. That's the eugenic Nazi-esque tradition that they're espousing when they say, they're going to have a rough life, and we, as the high priests of secular progressivism, we get to decide what level of suffering is appropriate and whether we'll let you live or not. If you don't believe a human being has a soul, then why not dispose of them? They're not useful to your aims and ambitions. As soon as you believe human beings have a soul, everything changes. You remove God really bad things start to happen. Women now acknowledge it's a baby, but they still say that they have the right to kill it. So what is your advice? Yeah, welcome to humanism. Yeah, Francis Schaeffer wants to find humanism as placing man at the center of all things and making him the measure of all things. You displace God and Christianity, you can justify anything. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and bid the geldings be fruitful. You can justify anything, even genocide, even holocaust, even killing. Humanism has been the bloodiest, most deadly religion we have ever seen. Exactly right. And Margaret Sanger's body count is greater than Mao's, Stalin's, and Mussolini's combined. More human beings were murdered in the 20th century than all of the tyrants and homicidal maniacs of the entire world history before the 20th century, thanks to humanism. So the acknowledgement that the victim is a human but it doesn't matter is nothing new, it's very ancient. So when we as Christians refuse to contend against that alternative religion, we're refusing to fulfill the role God gave us, to love neighbors, to hold back those staggering towards slaughter, and to expose the deeds of darkness, because we're not demanding our rights, we're exercising our responsibility. Just a C.S. Lewis quote, you only know a line is crooked if you have a straight line to compare it to. And that straight line is God, it's the Bible. If it's just evolution and you roll the dice and we happen to get reason and intellect and consciousness of a multi-million year accident, then yeah, sure, wipe them out. There's nothing special about it. But again, if a human being, God spoke into existence, we're image bearers of that being, then all of a sudden, we do not have a moral right to be able to eliminate that being. Everything changes. We've been listening to students' Q&A session with Seth Gruber and Charlie Kirk of Turning Point USA. Some of the questions asked were, explain abortion procedures, and Seth Gruber said 50%, get that, 50% of all abortions are done with RU486, the abortion pill that cuts off the hormone progesterone, so the lining of the uterus breaks down and the baby starves to death. Horrible. So it really doesn't matter if a state provides abortion or not, if they can just get this pill. 
Another student asks, what if a woman has no other option but to abort their baby because they can't afford to support it? Most abortions, 97% are done for convenience or economic reasons. It's simply not what I want to do with my life now. So it's more convenient for me to end the life of this little child in my womb. It's trying to undo a pregnancy, but you can't undo a pregnancy. When you're pregnant, you're a mother. Abortion simply makes you the mother of a dead baby. Others would say, we need to keep abortion legal so a woman won't have an unsanitary back alley abortion. That's like saying we need to make murder safe and legal, otherwise it might be dangerous for the murderer. Abortion is killing a live person, not simply removing tissue. The place to stop abortion is to not get pregnant. Another argument was, it's my body, so it's my choice. But how can a little baby boy be part of a female's body? It's not just part of your body, but another body inside you. Another argument would say abortion should be legal for a woman who was raped or the victim of incest. But would you want to kill a one-year-old child who was a product of rape or incest? Of course not. So the only difference is age. It's okay to kill it when it's little and out of sight, but not when it's born. In the eyes of the law, if a pregnant woman is shot and the baby dies and the mother lives, the person who shot her is guilty of murder. He killed the baby. The baby's recognized as a person in the eyes of the law. People who say, I'm personally against abortion, but I think the choice should be left to each woman. Change the word abortion and substitute the word murder, and you get this. I'm against murder, but I think murder should be left to each person. And that's really what it is. Abortion is murder. From God's perspective, there's no difference between a born baby and an unborn baby. Both are fully human. If you would like a CD copy of today's program, please ask for number 1816 Q&A on abortion. That's number 1816 Q&A on abortion. You can order a CD copy of this program from our website. Our website is issuesineducation.org. That's issuesineducation.org. Please give us a call at 928-776-0000. That's 928-776-0000. From Proverbs 24, verse 11. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. For Issues in Education, this has been Bob and Jerry Boyd.